All right, Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to be. Now, we've been talking about uh, things that you have to have for Christmas. And hopefully you've kind of started your Christmas shopping or uh, at least some planning or something along that way. Otherwise, you're about to be in for a load of stress as, as Christmas charges towards us. Today is the 6th, so that means you have exactly 19 days until Christmas. That's less than three weeks. So does anybody feel stressed yet about Christmas? Gets a little busy, right? So, but we're going to talk about must-haves, like, oh, I got to get this gift for so-and-so and all that. And you kind of know that deal. But we're talking about it in a spiritual context. We're talking about things that you have to have in order for this season to be a life-giving season, rather than what it can wind up being a very toxic, a very heavy, uh, almost poisonous thing because of the busy, because of the expectations, because of the manipulation. I'm sure none of your families do any of that manipulation, guilt stuff, right? But that gets heavy at this time. And so what do you have to have? What do you, what do you have to have in your life so that this season is healthy for you spiritually? And so as we get, as we get started, I just want to start off because church is a place where you can confess to one another. I can confess something to you guys and you won't tell anybody, right? You might judge me, but please keep it to yourself, Okay. Here's my confession. I am not a very generous person. I have discovered this. I am not a very generous person. Now, you might, you might throw stones and think that you're better than me, and you probably are, but I'll tell you what I mean. I, I, I love to give gifts to my kids. The Christmas time comes around. There were some Christmases where we didn't have any money for Christmas presents, or we didn't have much money for Christmas presents, and that broke my heart, as it would any of us, to feel like, oh, I've got nothing to give my kids for Christmas and, and whatever. So I'm not talking about that. Here's what I'm talking about. You ever drive along one of those roads and you stop and and you're you're ready to get on like a highway or something, you're at a light, and there's a guy there with a sign or whatever, and it says, you know, I I need food or I'm homeless or whatever. My first thought, I realize this. My first thought is, I don't know you. I don't know what you're going to do with my money. And I feel very justified in keeping my window rolled up, you know, maybe like a little dirty glance over there, like whatever, dude, and moving on. I feel very good about that because I feel like I have somehow stood up for justice and and all that stuff. Now, what made me realize this is that my wife is a very generous person. So we come up to the stoplight and I'm going, whatever, I'm not talking to you. And my wife's immediately going for a purse and digging through to see if she has some dollars to, to give this person. And I'm always like, what are you, you're crazy. You don't know what they're gonna do with that. And you know so about less than a month ago, we were at one of these stoplights and the person's, you know, marching along and, they, and they're, they're not looking at me because they don't care what I think. They're just, you know, they're, they're in need or whatever. And I'm thinking, now, how could, cause is there some way I could verify if you actually are in need? Like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just ruminating on this thing. And all of a sudden there's like dollar bills in front of my face and, and Dana says, give this to him. And I'm, and I'm like, like, you know, thinking in my head, but I don't want to. But how can I say I don't want to? Because then, you know, now I look like a real bad person. It's not even my money. It's her money. She's asking me to give to it. And I don't, I don't know. There was something inside of me. It was a battle. I rolled down my window, but it was extra bitter that I had to be the one to hand the money to this guy that I didn't want to hand the money to, but I should have wanted to hand the money to. So I was mad at me. I was mad at my car. I was mad at everything. You know, what is it? And we go into like giving season. This is a time of giving. It's a giving time of year. And we all think, oh, we're generous people and we, we're very generous. But today I want to look at that because I want to look at that concept, that, that, that idea of generosity. What does it mean and, and how is it defined? Because Jesus talks about it. And I figure if we're followers of Jesus, maybe it would be a good idea for us to look at what he says about it. 
and see if that challenges us or changes us in any way. And so maybe it's not what we naturally think of. Maybe generosity isn't what we normally think. Maybe it's not what Jesus taught. Maybe what we think of as generous is not what he taught. And when you come down to it, generosity is not a feeling. Generosity is not even an intention. Generosity is an action, isn't it? You are, I mean, you could be there and be like, oh, I wish I had something to give that person. But if you don't have anything to give that person, you haven't been generous, right? It's a, you don't get brownie points for like, I wish I could, right? It's only when you actually do that you are being generous. So let's take a look at this. Now, the biblical idea behind generosity is, if I could put it as simply as possible, it's simply this. Generosity is that God has given you everything you have. Does everybody believe that? Everything you have, everything you own, every good thing in this world, God is the giver of every good gift. James 1 tells us every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. And so all that you have is from God. Whether you earned it and worked for it or whether you just fell into your lap, it's all from the hand of God for you. But the the biblical concept of generosity is that what God has given you is not all for you. God has given you a lot, but not all of it is for you. That's the biblical concept of generosity. It is not something that makes you feel safe, secure, valuable, worthwhile, better than. It is not for your self-image. Are you with me? God has entrusted you with resources. And whether it feels like it or not, God has entrusted you with virtually more resources than everybody else in this world. Now, I know in our country, that's a hard thing to get a hold of. Because some of you, you struggle to pay bills. You're making it paycheck to paycheck. Some of you are out of work. And it's hard to to even get into the concept that that we are really, really well-resourced well-financed in America. But let me give you a couple of thoughts here because even if you're just paying your bills and surviving, let me give you a couple of, of, of snapshots of this world that will help you understand what I'm talking about. Because in America, in our country, in our, especially in our region, we have so much compared to what other people have in this world. The global median income, that means if you took everybody in this entire world, all six and a half billion or seven billion or whatever people, and you averaged it out, the average income per person per year, okay? So if you had a family of four, you take this number and multiply by four. Per person per year, the average income on this planet today per person per year, $1,225. Anybody make more than that in a year? $1,225. Is that a reality check for you? I mean, I know we've got lots of financial pressures in our lives. I understand that. But do you realize how much we're in a different realm than the rest of this world? $1,225. If that doesn't get you, maybe this will. In order to be in the top 1% of people's income in the whole world in 2015, this report came out December Third, so just a couple days ago. In order to be in the top 1%, means 99% of the world has less than you. Top 1% of the world's income per person per year. So again, if you have this number and you had a family of four, you'd multiply by four. But per person per year, $32,000. Top 1%. Do you realize how privileged you are? Maybe you don't make that much. Maybe your family, you know, that would be, you know, 120000 or whatever for you. But, so maybe you're not in the top 1%. 
But are you in the top 5% of this world? Do we live like we have a lot? Do we realize how much God has entrusted to us and what we are called to do with that? What God has asked us to do with that. And so the question is, what will you do with what God has given to you? Because money has a way of taking a hold of us, doesn't it? It has a way of turning our heads and turning our attention. It sometimes is the way we decide what job we're going to take. It sometimes is the way we decide whether we're going to do this vacation or that vacation. It's money runs a lot of things in our lives. It can make us feel secure or insecure. It can make us feel safe or unsafe. And so the challenge of being generous as a believer, I believe, is really God's way of testing us to see whether money has taken hold of us or not. It really isn't about whether you have money or think you have money or not. It's really about whether or not money is your hope. So we're going to look at three stories, three discussions Jesus has. I'm going to try to just be like straightforward. This is what Jesus says. Take it for what it's worth. Let the Spirit apply it to your life. We're going to try to do that. Okay, But before I get to that, I just want to make a couple notes here because we're going to let Jesus challenge us with whatever he wants to say to us during this giving season about generosity. But as we do, what I will tell you is Jesus is going to talk about money in all of these. However, generosity is not just about money. Generosity is about a lot of things. So whatever, I don't know what the deal is for you. I don't know what the Spirit wants to talk to you about. It may not be about money. Money is the easiest thing to talk about because it's concrete and you've got a number on it and all that kind of stuff. But maybe for you, God's challenge to generosity for you is not going to be about money. Maybe it's going to be about something else. Maybe it's going to be about graciousness with people, being generous in your grace, right? Maybe it's going to be about serving people. or I don't know. So whatever it is for you, when we're talking about money and we're looking at the words of Jesus about money, just take it and apply it to that thing, okay? So that we don't get confused about it because this is not a one-size-fits-all thing. Second thing I want to say is God, although um, the challenge is going to be about sacrifice and about generosity in the way that whatever Jesus says to us, we want to apply to our lives, I want to say this. Don't make the presumption that giving is always good, okay? Some people, and I know some of you in your stories, you have given in a way that is not healthy for you. God will never call you to give in a way that is spiritually or emotionally unhealthy. Let me say that again. God will never ask you to sacrifice your spiritual well-being to be faithful in following Him. He may ask you to sacrifice your financial well-being or your physical well-being or but never your spiritual well-being or your emotional well-being. And some people have laid themselves down as martyrs for the expectations of others because I'm supposed to give. And that's not the direction of God. That's how we as human beings try to get out of like these tense situations. God's not trying to get you out of a tense situation. Okay. On the other side, there's also this idea that you cannot presume your way into obedience. Every opportunity to give, although it might be a good opportunity to give to someone, it may not be the opportunity for you. What the call is, is to pay attention to the Spirit of God directing you. Because if God has given you this stuff, then the question we should be asking is, what do you want me to do with it, God? Right? Is that how you make purchase decisions? When you went out and got a car last time, was there prayer involved? Did, were you like, hey God, what, what kind of car do you want me to buy? Or was it just like, well, what kind of car do I want? And then what kind of car can I afford? Let me go get that. 
You know what I'm saying? If we really genuinely believe that God is the giver of all that we have and we are being faithful to Him in how we use it, then shouldn't we be asking for some instructions? Shouldn't we be bending our ear towards the Lord and asking Him what we should be doing with it? All right, so Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to start. This is the first of the three stories. And in this story, a man comes to Jesus and asks a question, and Jesus has a, a, a very interesting answer for him. So let's look at this guy. And by the way, as we look at this guy, notice this is a really good guy, okay? He's not a villain. He's not an evil person. He's not going to get condemned. He's a really good guy. Start with me at verse 18. It says this. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Come. Follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. All right, so you have a man here, and obviously he's a ruler and he's wealthy. We find this out just from reading the passage. He has power, influence, status, and money. He kind of has life by the tail. He, he's in charge. He's in an enviable position. But this guy doesn't just live like, you know, the normal, worldly, wealthy person. This guy clearly has been listening to Jesus. He's been hearing what Jesus says about eternal life, and, and he realizes Jesus is a teacher. He's a messenger from God. And he comes to Jesus, and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? In other words, he has been given much by God, but he values eternal spiritual stuff. And he values Jesus. He goes to Jesus and says, tell me what to do. Not bad. This is good stuff, right? Good guy. And then when Jesus says, well, keep the commandments, turns out he has been keeping the commandments. He says, all my life, you know, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Yes, I've been doing that. Probably not perfectly, but he has been faithful. In other words, if you looked at him, he is somebody who church matters to him. God matters to him. He wants to do the right thing. Spiritual stuff matters to him. He looks like he's living a good life. He looks like he's responding to God. And he comes to Jesus and says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, no, you got it covered. You're good. No, he doesn't. Why not? He says, one thing you lack one thing. Now, is Jesus saying, there's only one problem in your life, man? No, what he's saying, Jesus is cutting down to the basics here. And Jesus, in this one statement, sets up this choice for this man about his real issue. His real issue isn't that he's interested or, or concerned about or values spiritual stuff. His real issue is what is most valuable to him. And so when it comes down to this showdown, Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell all you have and give it to the poor. In other words, divest yourself of all the resources, spread those resources out. And the man's response tells us why Jesus asked this question. What did he do? Walked away. 
He's standing in front of the Son of God asking about eternal life. And the Son of God says to him, here's the difference for you. Here's the choice you have. You can hold on to this world stuff or you can have eternal life. What do you want? And he says, I'll hold on to what I have right here and now. It is indicative of somebody who has placed monetary goods, wealth, in a spot where they don't belong. Jesus says, which do you want more? Which is more important to you, eternal life or your wealth? And maybe you're sitting here and you hear that story and you're like, why was Jesus so ridiculous? What's the big deal? He's a good person. He's got money. He wants to do the right thing. Why should he have to become poor in order to have eternal life? That doesn't make any sense. But I think you missed the point. The point is, the thing between him and eternal life was that he had his hope in something else. His greatest love was not God. His greatest love, his greatest faith was not in eternal realities and spiritual things. His greatest faith was in what he owned. And it held him. He was, if it came down to it, he'd like to have both. But if he had to have just one, it wasn't going to be eternal life. I wonder how many times God comes into our lives and makes that decision point for us. Listen, if you had to have one thing, what are you going to have? Have you ever had one of those weeks where it felt like the sky was falling in and everything was falling apart? How was that experience for you? Was it peaceful? Was it joyful? Or was it devastating? Do you want to know why? Because this world has a grip on us. Because did God go anywhere? Did you lose your hope? Is heaven not awaiting you? Is redemption not promised you? Oh no, it still is. So what changed? This earthly circumstance. Do you see? Earthly stuff gets a hold of us. It defines us. And God comes to us sometimes in circumstances like that and says, listen, what matters most to you? Oh, will you do, Lord? Well, I'm still here. Why aren't you okay? We give in some sense so that that doesn't happen to us. What he said to this man is not that his act of giving was somehow going to earn him eternal life, but if you will give it away, it won't have a hold on you. But if you hold on to it, it's poisoning your very soul. I think we face this test every day. What is your God? What is your hope? What is the thing that you cannot let go of beyond reason, beyond comfort? Because what you believe that it does for you is too valuable. What you believe you will lose if you lose it is too much. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your wealth and your possessions. Maybe not. Maybe it's something else. And when God comes to you, maybe like God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, take your son Isaac and take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him. You'd go, God, you're crazy. I'm not doing that. Because God's not allowed to ask me for anything unreasonable. What has a hold of you? Jesus taught that generosity was the way that we let those things go, that we break free from them. If Jesus were having this conversation with you, if you were this man showing up before Jesus saying, what do I have to do so that I can be close to you, that I can experience the life that you have, what would he say you need to let go of in order to have what he gives? That's the first story. Don't know how that applies to you, but let's move on. Second story is a couple pages back in Luke chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, you can go back to Luke chapter 14. And this story is about Jesus having a conversation over dinner. He is at a Pharisee's house. 
uh, Pharisees, religious leaders, powerful people, um, very influential people, even politically influential during this time. And he's been invited to this Pharisee's house to eat on the Sabbath. And in verse 1, it's at one Sabbath, Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. And as he's eating, they're starting to watch him and ask him questions and try to find, like, what's Jesus all about? So they ask him about, you know, what's it, was it lawful to do this or that on the Sabbath day? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And, uh, you know, Jesus answers that. And then Jesus breaks into this discussion. Um, and he starts off by talking about your seating arrangements. Like, you want to take the good seats. You get there early so you can have the good seats. You know, if we were going to relate that to church, it would be like, you get here early so you can sit in the back, you know. And Jesus is like, well, you shouldn't sit in the back. You should sit in the front. You should take the worst seats, not the best seats, not the most convenient. You should be serving other people even with coming to dinner. And so he says this to these, to these people because they loved to use these dinner parties, the luncheons, as ways to connect and to you know, uh, network and, and gather influence and, and, and have uh, you know, conversations with people and, and, and build relationships with people. And so they used these dinner invites as a way to gain favor, to gain influence. They were being generous, but they were being generous so that it would work out for them, right? So Jesus says to them, hey, I have an idea about your dinners. And so pick it up with me at verse 12 down to verse 14 of Luke chapter 14. Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus says, yeah, next time you get together for a banquet, and you're going through, who can I invite? Don't invite your relatives. Don't invite your friends. Don't invite anyone you know. Go out and invite the people who have nothing. The lame and the poor, those who are outcasts in society, invite them. Change your invite list when you throw a dinner party. Be generous to these people. What's he saying? He's saying you're, you will be blessed. Not you'll be blessed because God is going to pour out money on you because you had a dinner and invited out the poor. Blessed how? Blessed means you are in an advantageous position. You are in an enviable position. You are blessed. Why? Because you gave to someone, Jesus specifically says it, you gave to someone who could not give back to you. How are we at that? I mean, is Christmas our season of generosity, all about giving to people that I'm close to. People that I have an invested relationship with. Is it all about that? Because Jesus says, when you throw a banquet, invite people that don't have any connection to you. People who are far away from you. People who have no way of paying you back anything. Because he says, if you do it that way, you're doing it as an act of faith. He doesn't say you will be repaid in this life. When does he say you'll be repaid? In the kingdom. So it means you will suffer loss here by giving away. But by faith you believe that you have not lost anything. You've actually gained something even though you don't have it now. That's a a call to faith, isn't it? We don't do good with faith. We, We do much better with right here, right now. I was talking this morning 
uh, Dana about, or actually it was last night with Dana about some stuff. We're talking about parenting and how parenting seems like it's always a trade-off between the right now, like, pacifying or, or comfort or, or, or helping my child feel good right now is, has to be traded off if I want my child to do well in the long term. And how hard it is as a parent to make that trade-off, to see my child suffer here and now, believing by faith that it will mean good things for them later on. Right? Parents, are you with me? That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? We don't do well in faith, even in just this life let alone in the life to come. Because if I don't see how it will work out for me now, it's like it didn't. But by faith, what he's saying is, if you will give to people who don't give back to you, that's the kind of people you should look for because now you will in the kingdom receive your reward. What Jesus is teaching is that real generosity does not give in anticipation of receiving something in return. Now, that makes sense. But experientially, how good are we at doing that? How do we live that? Well, let, me, let me put some tests up for us. Because we give to family and friends, but we give to them most of the time with at least some expectation. Have you ever done something really nice for somebody? They were in a bad spot. They were in a hard place. They, they needed a favor or they needed some money or whatever. And you helped them out. If the next time you saw them, they treated you nasty. They said bad things about you. You found out they were gossiping about you. How would you feel? What would you say to them? Would you be like, whoa, hey, I was nice to you. Why are you doing this to me? What's that tell you? Did you give without any expectation of return? No, reasonably, we expect that if I'm nice to you, you'll be nice to me. That's what we expect. Jesus is saying, yeah, that's a sticky thing. That's what we all do. So go deliberately find somebody that when you give to them, you know they won't give back to you so that you give the right way. He's not saying you can't give to those you love. He's saying when you do give to those you love, it is hard for you not to expect something or get something in return. Find ways to give where you get nothing in return. And now you'll be following Christ's example. Do we do that? How are we at doing that? Are we generous? Like in the relationships you have, let's say in your marriage, are you generous in that relationship? When you do something nice for them, when you go out of your way to do something nice for them, when you let them win that argument that you know you're right about, right? Do you do it without any expectation of return? Do you really give or do you trade? Well, I did it for you last time. Now you better do it for me this time or else I'm going to blow up on you. Like, how are we at being generous? with people without getting anything in return. You know those people who they buy you a gift but you've got to open it in front of them? Do you know what I'm talking about? People are like, I bought you this gift. I can't wait for you to open it. But they really bought the gift for them because they want to watch you open it so they can be enjoying how much you're enjoying it, right? If they really got the gift just for you, they would be like, here's a gift. I know you'll love it. Go enjoy it. But they, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with enjoying people enjoying your gift. I'm just saying that's one of the ways we look for things to come back to us right? We're just not givers the way Jesus challenges us to be givers. Givers with no strings attached. Givers just for the sake of giving because this thing doesn't own me because I'm following the example of God. And so I don't want anything in return. I'm not worried about what this does to my reputation, what people think of me. I'm not worried about whether they will be loyal to me or not. I'm not trying to get good feelings from it. I'm not trying to get anything from it. 
And then if I do get something from it, I'm thankful. I'm just like, well, that was really nice. Thank you so much. I didn't expect that. Not just something I say, but something that's genuinely true. But if I don't get anything back from it, I don't get bitter. I don't get frustrated. I don't get mad. I say, but God asked me to give it and I gave it. I did the right thing and I'm glad I did. Even though what came back didn't seem fair, didn't seem right. And so I'm asking you today, how can you exercise the kind of generosity Jesus describes? I don't know. There's, there's probably lots of ways, and you probably can even think of some. But I'm just going to say this. If you are stuck, I don't know how to give to somebody who can't give back to me. Because you know, I'm like you, Mark. I couldn't give to that guy on the side of this road. I don't know what he's going to do with it. That's fine. But isn't there some place you can give where you know that person can't give back to you? There, there are... Uh, uh, missions and, and organizations. Uh, I put some catalogs on the back tables there from Gospel for Asia. There are gift catalogs there where you can go and you can buy people a cow or some chickens or a well or some clean water or stuff that for us is like, what's the... But this is life-changing for them. Some, some medical care or whatever. And you give, you're never going to get anything back from that in this life. That's lost money, right? I, we have some compassion childs that children we sponsor in our home. And so Compassion is the same thing. I have a gift catalog up here. And you can go through their website and you can find places. Samaritan's Purse is another one. You can go find things where you can just give to the needs of other people. So find a reputable place that you know that money will go to help someone and go help someone. You know? Wouldn't that be cool if the body of Christ did what what, what our Savior did and gave to people who were in need? Wouldn't that be awesome? Do you think that would be a more powerful witness than us wagging our finger at people, telling them how wrong they are, what they do? Think they might listen to you more about a Savior who loves them if we showed that we love them? Think this world would be a different place if the the body of Christ rose up and acted like Jesus. And so maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's just finding a way to serve. Maybe in our church, you're going to be somebody who steps into a ministry to our widows or to the sick You know, maybe you're going to be part of our meals ministry and Pat's going to sign you up to make meals so you make sure when somebody's coming home from the hospital, they've got something hot. And yes, it's a sacrifice. And yes, you've got to make dinner for your own family and all that. But once a month or whatever it is, you're going to be sure that you're giving to somebody who's in need. Maybe you're going to help us with our pantry. Maybe you're going to help in the community with the food bank or whatever. Maybe you're going to find ways to serve. Serve in ways that bring you nothing in return except a good conscience before God, knowing that you have given what God asks you to give. Will we be generous in the way that Jesus asks us to be? Last one I want to look at is in Luke chapter 12, a little longer one. Um, Luke chapter 12, starting at verse uh, 13. And the reality here is, I I said, uh, we're going to talk about generosity, but we couple generosity with self-control. Self-control. And, and self-control is the ability for me to do what I need to do beyond my urges and beyond my selfishness. So uh, Galatians chapter 5 tells us self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit. If we're walking in the Spirit, if God's in control of me, if the Spirit has me, then I'm going to have self-control. This story is about someone who has to figure out how to deal with what I believe I have the right to. I have the right to this stuff, so what am I going to do with the stuff I have the right to? So maybe you've earned what you have. Maybe you've worked really hard. Maybe you've, you've, you've studied and you've uh, you know, thought things through and you've come up with some great idea. And in some way, your ability has brought you reward. And maybe you have a rock-solid claim on the stuff that you have. But the question remains, yes, 
You have a right to it, but what are you going to do with what you have? Self-control is the ability to hold back my power from being used for my self-interest. It's the ability to not use everything that I have that I can do for me. Instead, I am able to hold and give my power to others. I develop self-control. I develop generosity when I deliberately and regularly use my power to help others. One of the most concrete ways we do that is with money. And that's what Jesus talks about here. So Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Watch out. Be on your guard. We're going to keep going, but... I just wanted to stop there for a second because what you've got is you've got a guy who comes to Jesus and what does he want? What does he want Jesus to do? He wants Jesus to help him get his inheritance, right? Is he owed his inheritance? Yeah. He's talking about tell my brother to divide my inheritance. So what's that tell you? Their father died. His brother is in charge of dividing the inheritance, but the brother's keeping it all for himself. But I am owed that. I have a right to that. Please go tell my brother to give me what I am owed. I should have it. So what would you expect Jesus' response to be? Well, that's not fair. He shouldn't do that. He, you know, hopefully he'll do the right thing. Like, that's kind of what we expect. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, watch out for all kinds of greed. What? Would you define greed as wanting what's yours? Is that how you would define greed? Huh. Interesting. Because then Jesus tells this story. And this story, he's going to teach about greed. So notice the story he tells. Verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Wow. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves. Hmm. Now, remember, Jesus is talking about greed here. He says, beware of greed. And then he tells them this parable. So when you hear the word greed, if I said to you, define greed, how would you define it? Greed is wanting more, right? More than you have. You could have a little or a lot, but greed is wanting more than you have. But Jesus tells this story, teaching on greed. Does this man want more? No. He's happy with what he has. We would call that content. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? Jesus says this man is an example of how to watch out for greed. Why? Well, Because he has a lot. His harvest has been plentiful, so much so that he can't hold all of it in his barns, so much so that he has enough for the rest of his life. 
He's going to build bigger barns. He's going to live off of it. He's going to take it easy and use all of it for himself. And in that is the definition that Jesus uses for greed. Jesus defines it as believing I should use what I have on myself. I should take all that comes my way and use it for me. That's how Jesus defines greed. Is that surprising to you? Because we would never define it like that. And Jesus says, then God has a response. You know, this man, he has a great harvest. He stores it up. He's not complaining. He's actually thankful. And he's feeling like, I got life. I've got things good. I'll be satisfied with this for the rest of my life. And you would think God would say, well, good. I'm glad I gave it to you. But God says to him, you fool. This night, your life will be required from you. First off, yes, you have enough for the rest of your life because your life is over now. Right? But the second part of what God says, says something. He says, then who will have that stuff that you stored up for yourself? What's God saying in that? Do you hear the implication? He's saying, now, I gave it to you for a reason. But you decided not to do that. I gave it to you, why? To give to other people. And because you said, I'm not going to do that, then guess what? Other people are still going to have it. You're just not going to be the one to give it to them. Do you see that? It's the teaching of Jesus on the idea of greed is that everything that comes my way is not for me. God might put something in my life so that I can give it to others. I can be his hands and feet to others. We are so good at seeing all that comes our way and finding out what I want to do with it. If you're honest, how, how much of what God has given you have you already spent on yourself? I'm not saying it's wrong to pay your bills and have groceries. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying, when was the last time we went to God and we said, Lord, you've given me much. What do you want me to do with it? Is this just to provide for, for my family and my need and enjoying it? There's nothing wrong with enjoying what God has given you. But have you asked the question? Have you been stretched in generosity? Have you, if God came your way and asked you to do something that felt crazy, would you do it? Or are you so connected to what you own that you hold on to it? The challenge this morning is just to generosity. Wherever you are in being a generous person, to find some way through Jesus' words to be stretched in your generosity. Go forward somehow, some way. I don't know how to apply it to your life, but the Spirit does. And if you listen, the Spirit will apply it to you. Maybe you're like the rich young ruler. You're a good person. You're, you go to church. You try to do what's right. You value eternal stuff. But when it comes right down to it, something else would win in a showdown. Something else has a hold on you. And today, Jesus invites you just to let it go. Especially if it's money, to let it go. Doesn't mean you don't have any money, but it means money doesn't have you, right? Maybe you're in need of giving to those who will give nothing back. Maybe you need to be deliberate in giving to people that you know there will nothing come back your way so that you can exercise that ability to give in the right spirit in the right way. Maybe the way that you give changes because when you see that, that I give in love without any expectation in return, maybe it changes the way that you argue with your spouse. Maybe it changes the way that you are an employee at your job if you give without anything needing to come back for you to be satisfied in your soul. Jesus invites us to give to those who can't repay. 
And maybe, like this last story he tells, maybe the challenge for you is to get out of the thinking that God gives me stuff and it's all for me. Maybe you need to put up an antenna or a radar for the Spirit asking, why have you given me this? What do you want me to do with it? And so we're going to close our service today with communion. Communion as a representation of how generous our God is. So I'm going to ask you just to leave your stuff where it is. Find your way to one of the edges of the room. Form a circle around. No more than one or two deep at any spot, especially in the corners, if you would help us with that. Like I said before, the first thing we're going to do is start some cups around. So as those cups come your way, uh, take one if you're going to participate. If you're not, just let them go by. When they get to the end, wherever they meet in the middle, you can just set them down on the chairs. We'll take care of them after, after our communion time is over this morning. As we come to Christmas and as we talk about generosity in a season of giving, it almost feels like a like, uh, wow, that's so dumb. How, how blatantly obvious can we be about talking about generosity? But I hope that Jesus' words have been of challenge value to us this morning. But I also hope that you recognize we give in response to a God who is miraculously generous to us. That's what we represent this morning as we look at the body and the blood of our Savior. Romans chapter 8. I want to read just two verses. Verse 31 says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is a representation that God is for you. Do you believe that? God is for you. He doesn't have to be, right? He doesn't owe you to be for you, but He is for you. How do you know it? You're about to taste how you know it. You're about to drink how you know it. Because he gave his son. That's what the next verse says. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Is your God generous? Is your God generous beyond measure, beyond reason, beyond imagination? Well, I point you to bread. I point you to juice. Symbols Jesus gave us. And said, this is my body broken for you. And he broke the bread. Like his body would be broken for you. As the bread comes around today, you're going to have to tear off a piece. And as you do, remember, this is the symbol Jesus gave to say, this is my body broken for you. Broken for you. Remember how generous our God is. As the juice comes around, it will be poured for each one of you. This is my blood poured for you. I would invite you today to be blown away at how generous God is, at how for you God is. And then as His children, follow His example. So let this be an example to us as we do this in remembrance of Him. Gentlemen.